That's cool. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 11. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to give you a free Bible. So we give out Bibles every week. We love the Word of God. We started a new series last week called Friendship with God. We're journeying through the life of Moses for us to learn lessons from this man who was used mightily by him last week. We talked about being a chosen child and how each one of us are chosen by God to fulfill a great destiny in our generation. What might be a little less common today in the church world is to talk about the crucible that we have to go through in order to have our characters refined, to meet God in a powerful way, and to learn the skills that we'll need to move the people that we're called to lead forward in Him. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Starting in verse 11, it says, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw the two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. Let's dive in here. I was in Seattle this week working with one of the, uh, thank you, Seattle. Uh, thank you for bringing your weather to us this morning, by the way. We, uh, we were having a great time with our um, Seattle church plant. And I, I have the privilege of serving on the board in that church with really a legend in, in the American church. His name's Steve Nicholson, and he's led uh, the vineyard church planting. He's been in charge of all church planning for the vineyard movement. The vineyard uh, had its epicenter here in Southern California. Incredible movement uh, from the Lord. The interesting thing about Steve is you wouldn't pick him out of a crowd as a CEO type. Um, he, he doesn't have that kind of stature that would often think, well, that's the typical kind of leader, you know, the normal American president who always seems to be six foot two and walks in a room with kind of uh, uh, an impressive uh, aura about him. Steve is just a very normal guy. In fact, I looked down and I said, man, he actually has uh, Velcro shoes on and um, real thick glasses and uh, he doesn't have the real charismatic personality that's going to draw everyone in the room to him. He's uh, way more quirky. And... But Steve started telling us in the room uh, just about what God had done. We started, and, we, and we started asking, Steve, tell us stories. Man, he had these incredible stories in South Africa where this crippled man literally jumps up and starts running around. And the crowds just start running to be healed talking about blind people seeing, talking about hundreds of churches being planted. He's actually overseen 732 churches being planted. And he said, you know, one day I was kicked off of a college campus. <laughs> and uh, 
said, really, Steve, tell us why. And he goes, well, you know, our church was just starting to uh, see a lot of healings. And um, he said, and so this college group called me in and asked me to just talk on healing. And so I, I said, you know, it's really simple. I mean, Jesus said, heal the sick. So we just do that. <laughs> and uh, he goes, so I called some kids up and we started praying for them and they got dramatically healed. And he said, so they invited me back the next time. And instead of 15 students, there were 450. I'm like, Wow. And he goes, so I just did the same thing. I opened the Bible and said, guys, it's really not that difficult. You know, Jesus said, heal the sick and lay hands on them. And he said, so we called up a couple of students and put them on the stage. And of course, they started getting healed. I'm like, of course, of course, he He goes, but but then something happened. He said, so this girl on the front row, she just doubles over and starts wailing. And then she fell out of her seat onto the ground. And I went, "Uh uh-oh. And he said, then... All over the room, people just start doubling over and just start weeping. You know, just revival was hitting this room. And he goes, and then the most peculiar thing happened. The middle section just all doubled over and half of them fell out of their seats. Really, Steve? Normal day in church, right? He goes, but the funny thing is they had no background for this. And, And he said, so students just start streaming out. They're calling their parents. He said, this is on a college campus, so all the professors had lines out their doors of students asking them what was going on. And he goes, so the, they call me back, and, and the, college, the, the, the college administrator ended up saying, this is not from God, and shutting it down. He said, now the great thing is, 10 years ago, he, he ends up calling and saying, I totally repent. I shut down a move of God. You know, he's, this guy totally starts seeing that, you know, God is still moving this way. And uh, so Steve is just telling us these amazing stories. And he goes, you know why that happened, right? Like, no. He said, I was called to go plant a church in inner city Chicago. And he goes, we were just so excited about what God was going to do. And he says, we get there and nothing happens. He says, no one comes. No one comes to our church. No one gets saved for one month, two months, three months, one year, two years, three years. Not one person gives their life to Christ. And he said, so I was ticked. <laughs> he said, so I was planning to quit. And I, I put out a day on my calendar and we get to that week. And one day before the first person got saved. He said, the problem was that first person knew so many people. And so within a several weeks, our church was packed. And he goes, this is what I learned. He said, I learned that God took me there more for me than for Chicago. And he said, because he wanted to teach me that I can do nothing. (laughs) He said, I can do nothing. And he also wanted him to teach me that I need to be willing to do anything. And he said, this was a great quote. He goes, I'm just a leaf. And God just blows me where he wants. <laughs> and that is one powerful leaf. <laughs> Steve goes, if you, if you study the great men and women of God who've seen him move in tremendous ways. He said, you'll always find that they had a desert experience. That they came to a crisis, that they had a trial where they learned that they could do nothing 
And here's how I want to apply it to your life today. A lot of you say, you know, I, I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm not, you know, called to lead healing meetings like Steve. But I want to tell you that if you are a Christian in this generation, that God is calling you up to be a leader in this dark time in world history. Maybe it's in the business world. Maybe it's in the education field. Maybe it's in the medical community. Maybe it's in the arts. Maybe it's in music. Maybe it's in sports. But I want to tell you that you'll never fulfill your destiny in God until you go through a desert experience in which you realize it's not what you can do for God. It's what he can do through you. You see, God can only do through you what he's first done in you. If you're taking notes, that would be a great time to start writing. God can only do through you what he's first done in you. And that is what was going on with Moses in this text. Today, I want to dive in and talk about the desert experience. I want to tell you, this isn't talked about much in church life because most, most of church life these days, we're just kind of spiritually coddling people. They come in and you just want to say, hey, everything's going to be okay. Here's a little sugar peel. You know, just, just, have, some, just have some sugar and a little, little pat on the back. But I want to tell you that we need to go into the desert to find out who God really is and who we really are. So let's dive into this text. I'm excited about unpacking this with you. Verse 11 says this, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them hard at their labor. Here's the thing we see about Moses. Last week, we talked about him being a chosen child. This week, I want to say Moses did have some redemptive qualities in him before he went to the desert. You know, here he is grown up, and instead of just staying in the palace and saying, you know, fan me and feed me some grapes, he goes out and watches his people. There was a loyalty about Moses. He cared about his people. Secondly, this is what I see. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Moses had a real justice orientation. He not only was loyal and compassionate, he also wanted to stand for justice. These were innate qualities in him. But watch what he does with them. It says this, glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. What the heck? Okay, I watched a lot of Moses videos growing up and they always let Moses off the hook easily. Moses goes up kind of chivalrously, I don't know if that's a word, but he'll stop the, you know, the mean Egyptian from beating up the slave and he's kind of wrestling with him. And all of a sudden, you know, the guard, the, the, the Egyptian slave master like falls off something and he dies. And Moses is like, oh, oh no, that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> the Bible says that Moses looks and glances this way and glances that way and no one's watching. So he's like, boom, he... He takes out the Egyptian. So don't think, oh, sweet little Moses. Just someone fell. Oh, no, Moses. Oh, Pharaoh's going to come after you. No, Moses, he was a mixed bag, folks. And so are we. Ooh. 
There's some great things that God has put in you. There's some redemptive qualities. But I want to tell you, there's some mixture in there. Who are you when no one's looking? That's who you really are. Hello? Who are you when no one's looking? Moses looked, glances around, no one's looking. Moses knew it was wrong to kill. Right? If you look at verse 10, it says when he's an older child, that's when he's brought into the palace. We think about Moses going straight from the basket and Pharaoh's daughter just, you know, rocking him and having his little, you know, pyramid dolls and whatever. No, Moses grew up in a Hebrew home and he was taught the commandments of God. And the first one or the, you know, the third one he would have heard is thou shalt not kill. He knew that. But when no one was looking and there was no accountability, he acted out what was really in his heart. And my friends, this is one of the reasons that God needed to take him into the desert experience. He takes us into the desert experience to refine our character. God takes us into the desert to refine our character. So let's look at what happens here. It says the next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting and he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Okay, here's the deal. Moses hid the guy under the ground and he thinks, oh, it's all covered up. I want to tell you, your sins will find you out. If there is something hidden in your life, God in his mercy is going to let it come out to the front. He's going to let it come out. Don't think as a believer that you can have a secret life of sin. Better for you to expose it than for you to get exposed. Are you following me? I want to tell you that, what, that that's why we have get rock, get real. It's not about you coming and putting on your smiley Christian face in here. No, it's about us being real so that we can meet the mercy of God and get free. So we can go on and live out the calling of God on our life. I want to tell you, this is a great place to get free. This is a safe place. We've heard it all. You're not going to shock us. But get free so you don't have to get found out by someone else. And then it destroys your life. This is what happens. The other Hebrew says, who are you? Who made you ruler over us? Moses thinking, man, I'm helping you guys out. And they're saying, who made you ruler over us? They didn't let Moses take leadership. Later, Moses would be leading millions. But right now, one guy won't even get him leadership. Why? Because Moses had no authority on his life. Guys, leadership is not about title. It's not about position. It's about the authority you carry in your being. Okay, and what's authority? We don't talk about true authority much. Let me give you a little equation that we've written up here. Here is what authority is in the Bible. It's God's calling. We talked about that last week. Being a chosen child, God's calling plus character plus spiritual depth. Actually knowing God, having a relationship with him plus proven skills. And this character plus spiritual depth plus proven skills is what God is going to do in Moses' desert experience. And that's what he's going to do in your desert experience if you allow him to take you there. Let's look at this next verse, verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. We think when we start really following God, when it's time to start 
fulfilling our destiny, that everything's just going to be hunky-dory. And here you have Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the land, trying to kill Moses. That is a bummer. That is a bad day. But here's the thing. God will often allow crisis in the life of a believer to remove them from the worldly path they're on and to put them on his path. Let me say that again. God will allow crisis in the life of a believer to remove you from your worldly path to get you on the path that he's on. You see, Egypt symbolizes the world. Worldly power, sin, sexual immorality, idolatry. And so often we as believers, we love sitting in that kind of comfortable, comfortable world, right? That, that, that's my story. You've heard me say it a million times if you've been here. Here I was pursuing my glory, pursuing my renown, using women, all this for my own glory and my athletic uh, career. And all of a sudden, boom, I have a heart problem that almost kills me. But God allowed it to wake me up, pull me out of this worldly path and say, son, I want you to go on a journey with me. I want you to go on a journey that's not about you and your comfort and your pleasures and your addictions, but it's about me and my name and my renown. And it's about other people, not just Robert. I want you to evaluate your life, look back on your life and look for the crises and see what God was doing. So oftentimes we get mad at God instead of realizing it's his severe mercy to move us out of a worldly path that's leading us nowhere or leading us somewhere, which is really bad, and taking us and setting us on a path of righteousness into a good place that will help people and let us fulfill our destiny. Are you following me? So he allows this to happen in in Pharaoh's life. So all of a sudden he goes into Midian. What is Midian? Midian is a desert. He leaves the palace. He leaves where he's respected and he's known. And all of a sudden he's in the desert. Look at what it says in verse 22. Moses explains the desert. He said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. Or I've become a stranger in a strange land. I don't know if you've ever been a stranger before. But it's a really interesting feeling. For, for us, it was when God called us to come out to San Diego. Here we had been in Texas. I would speak to thousands at times. Every restaurant we'd go into, we'd know people. We know every street. I knew the university. It was home. My family was there. And all of a sudden, God says, go to San Diego. And you come to a place where I didn't know one person. And no one knew me. And it didn't matter who my family was. It didn't matter what church I was part of. And it's in times like that that you have to rely solely on God. Now, yours might not be that dramatic of a location change. But I want to tell you that God takes us into desert experiences where we can't depend on all the external giftings and external background that we have so that we have to just cling to him and say, Jesus, you're all I have. Let me explain something that happened way before San Diego. My desert experience started when I was 21 years old. You know, even after my heart problem, I was still all about myself. I was really into clothes. That was a really big deal to me. I was really into my car. 
I was, I was really into working out. I was always working out and I was taking those self supplements that would just beef your body up with water. So you're, you know, like this. And, um, it was all about the externals. I was really into my top fraternity and, and I remember hearing a message, hearing a message on God using the weak things of the world, hearing a message on brokenness and how God resists the proud, but lifts up the humble. And I just started being convicted of, man, you're really into your family name. You're really in to your looks. I even had really nice hair back then. And, um, you're, you're into your car, you're into your clothes, you're into your fraternity name, you're into, and I just remember God saying, but it's all about pride. It's all external costumes. And God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And I started getting convicted. We don't talk much about conviction in church these days. It's not really popular to talk about conviction. But I want to tell you that the reason God convicts is so that the outer costumes that we put on ourselves can be stripped away so that the real you can meet God face to face. Let me just say that again. God takes us into the desert experience. God brings the conviction so the outer costumes can get pulled away and shed so the real you can meet God face to face. Most of us don't want to be the real us. So we, we're just so busy putting on different costumes and different makeup and different degrees and different jobs and different clubs and different friends and different cars so that we can just hide who we really are. And God said, no, I'm taking Moses, this prince of Egypt, into the desert. So he has to just be him face to face. I, I love that, that video, didn't you? He's just alone, just in the wind, just by himself, just going, what happened to my life? powerful. Let's look at this. This is what God does in the desert. Keep looking with me. Here we are in verse 16. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw the water and to fill the troughs to water their father's flocks. Some shepherds came along to drive them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, and he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? He asked his daughters, why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat with us. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom saying, I've become an alien in a foreign land. One of the, one of the things that happens in the desert when you let yourself go into a place where you get stripped of all the outer costumes you put on is you start having real relationships. Do you hear me? You start having authentic relationships because people know you for who you are, not what you appear to be. Once again, that's why we talk about get rock, get real. I want real friendships. So Moses has a marriage that's based on just who he was. She didn't know he was the prince. She didn't know that he had all the money and the power. All she knows is he's a really nice guy that beats up shepherds for me. (laughs) And so he... He builds his marriage on reality. Men and women, young men and women that aren't married yet, that's a word of the Lord for you. I want to tell you, anyone can get the nice perfume and spray it on and get all dolled up and go to an exciting movie and you're, I'm in love. No, you just like the movie. 
No, you just like the smell of the person sitting next. You didn't even have an authentic conversation. No, get real. Serve kids together. That's what you're going to be doing half your life. Talk. That's what you're going to have to do when the, when the perfume runs out. And that's what's happening in the desert is you have authentic relationships. And he would need that relationship with Zipporah, his wife, and Jethro, his, his father-in-law, when the times got rough. When times get intense, when you live out your destiny, you've got to have relationships that people know the real you. Here's another thing that happened in the desert. Look at verse 23. It says, during that long period. During that long period, no one likes that phrase, that long period. Man, we're Americans. Man, if something gets long, we pull out our iPhones and turn on Netflix. He did not have Netflix in the desert. He just sat there watching sheep. There's Bessie. There's Gertrude. Right? Long, what happens during long periods? Guys, we don't like long periods. As, as young people, I, I meet people and they're like, I, I, I just haven't become something great. And I'm like, you're 18 and a half. It's, it's okay. During long periods, God works faithfulness. We don't even talk about that word anymore today. He works perseverance. He works long suffering in us. He works peace in us. Moses would need these things to lead a bunch of people, but they don't come in a microwave. They come through a long period. Look at this. I want to show you the lifeline of a leader. This is adapted from a professor at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena. We've just used some, some more layman's terms just for kind of mass appeal. We've changed some of the words, but it's the same principles. Do we have that, David? Okay. Here we go, the life cycle of a leader. From zero to 18, you have the sovereign foundations, okay? This is just kind of what's handed to you. You didn't pick what family you were born into. You didn't, you didn't pick uh, what ethnicity you are, how much money you had. That's kind of just what's handed to you. From 18 to 30s, it's your character development. This was a study of 600 incredible leaders. What was going on in their life? I want to tell you, in today's pop culture, we think, you know, if I'm not the next Justin Bieber at 17, then I just, I've just missed it. And God is saying, no, 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 no. It's about your character being developed in this age period. And so Moses, for a long period, is just in the desert with his couple relationships and some sheep. And God was working on his character. Now look at this, from 40s to 60s. Uh, we missed something from thirties to forties. We missed something was a skill development, skill development. So put thirties to forties. If you're taking notes is your skill development season. So we think, you know, we're learning all the skills in micro soccer at five years old. And God say, no, in your thirties, you're actually learning the skills that you're going to use the rest of your life from forties to sixties is when people really start making their significant contribution. Man, that just comes in the face of our youth culture. But the great leaders, the great people who've moved the people of God forward in their 40s and 60s. And late 60s, 
till death. Those are to be your legacy years where you're pouring into the next generation. I love it when people in their 50s and 60s come into this church and they're like, you know, Robert, it kind of seemed like this was a young people's church and I'm, I'm at the end and I'm like, no, you are called to be the mothers and fathers to propel people into their destiny. You have the wisdom, you have the love, you have the maturity, you have the patience to be a foundation so all us little squirrely people don't just run off and explode. So whenever I see some gray hair in here, I'm like, whoa, 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 stop. We need you. Why? Because it's your, it's their legacy years. That's why we delight in being a multi-generational congregation. Amen. Because we want to make it for the long haul and we want to make our full contribution. Here's what chapter three says, kind of coming to the end out end here. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the Mount of God. What was Moses doing? Well, you'd think if you're going to be a great leader, you spend all your time in a palace getting trained, you know, by the, by the, the, the strategy, uh, generals and, and the orators and, and the philosophers. No. How does God train someone? Be a shepherd with a few sheep in the desert. Why? Because there you learn to care for things. You learn to nurture things. You learn to protect things. You learn to lay down your life. So God was training him as a shepherd. I want to tell you the other thing that happens in the desert is we gain skills. And I want to tell you that the Bible says he who's faithful and little is ruler over much. Some of you are blowing off your jobs right now because it's not the dream job. And I want to tell you, you'll never get the dream job if you don't start being faithful in the little. There should have been a lot more amens. Maybe there was conviction on the room and it froze your tongue. The Bible says he who is faithful in little will be ruler over much. If you want a great job, then be faithful in your mediocre job. Students, you're saying, you know, this, this class is just dumb. It just, yeah, of course it's dumb. But be faithful in that class. I'm not saying all classes are dumb. I love school. But there, there are some classes that you're like, I'm not going to use that. But that's not what God's asking. He's saying, will you persevere? Will you be honoring of your professors? Will you be honoring of your teachers, high school students and junior high school, school students? Because you will reap what you sow. Well, you want to be honored, but when you dishonor someone else, when you dishonor your boss, you will reap dishonor. But when you're faithful in the we should be the most faithful people as Christians. Because you reap what you sow. Let's finish this. Verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire. What, those flames were awesome. I love technology, you know. It's not, it's not this fake, you know, little paper going. Now it's like, whoa, that was a sweet burning. That was the best burning bush I've ever seen. <laughs> An angel appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw through the bush, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why this bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him within the bush, Moses, Moses. I love it. 
And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The first thing that God does in a burning bush experience is he reveals himself. He is holy. He's the God of our fathers. He's been here a lot longer than us. And when we come encounter with him, we're like, whoa, you are awesome. The second thing that happens, look at this. Verse seven, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The second thing God does is he reveals his heart. If you're going to walk in authority, First, you've got to know who God really is. The second thing, you've got to know his heart. You've got to understand the heart of the Father. And watch the last thing that God says. Verse 10, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. The third thing that God does is he gives a very specific call. Moses, I want you to know me. I want you to know my heart. And I want you to know what you're called to. And this begins Moses' journey. Men and women, the reason I'm passionate about this message is because all over this room, there are amazing callings. There are amazing destinies. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love him. And God's plan is much bigger for you than you think. But you have to go through the desert And get stripped of your worldly identity so that you can meet God face to face and get your true identity stamped on you. I'll stand up. If you've never given your life to Jesus while we're all closing our eyes, if we could all bow our heads and focus on him. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to lead you in a simple prayer right now so that you could start a friendship with God. Jesus died on the cross to forgive your sins. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. You'll be separated from him for eternity. But Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. He rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death. And it's a free gift that he offers you, the gift of salvation. If you want Jesus to take over your life, to come and live inside your heart, I want you to pray with me right now as everyone's just closing their eyes and praying for what God's doing here and asking God what he's doing in your life. Just pray this, Jesus. Come into my life. I turn from my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I'll follow you forever.